Hey there, and welcome back to Radio Meteor, the podcast where I watch an episode of 90s anime Gundam Wing and ramble about it because, frankly, who doesn't look at the news these days and doesn't want to fling themselves into the cold fatality of space? I'm Odomaki, welcome to Orbit. Episode 2, the Gundam known as Shinigami. Shinigami to yobareru ji. Lots to achieve in a second episode, because you have to continue the plot of the first episode. You have to re-establish your characters, because just because you've introduced them doesn't mean people really know them or necessarily like them yet. Uh, So you've got to build on that. And in this case, you're also introducing more stuff, more plot, more world. The second episode is always kind of an expansion package, if you like on the first one. This is always challenging, this is why sequels are always like kind of the hit and miss bit of any trilogy. So I'm going to assume that you've watched it. Uh, last time I said that I was using the high definition kind of remix of the show on YouTube um, in the natural course of things between me recording that episode and going to record this episode, those videos have been taken down. So uh, not to worry, where there's a will there's a way. I've sourced another version. I think this is now the original 1995 version uh, with Japanese audio and English subtitles. I'm afraid I'm gonna have to leave you on your own to rummage up where you're gonna be able to watch it. Um, Crunchyroll I believe also has it so have a look there. Um, Probably a a good bet. So quick recap of the episode. It's Rilina's birthday. Hooray! Hiro has enrolled at her school. His Gundam is at the bottom of the ocean. Various factions are vying to pull the damn thing up. And we get a little bit of insight as well as to what the others are up to out there in the big wide world, you know. Uh, So that's one thing I'll sort of talk about a little bit during this episode. First of all, let's kick off with some of the language things that I noticed through this episode. There were quite a number, actually. First of all, they have this unnamed character. I don't know if he has a name. I think he might be called Chris or something horrendous in the English dub, but um, he's like the foil to Hero in this kind of like Relina romance. I don't know if we can really call it a romance. It's, I guess it is. He's like, if Hero is like the Edward Cullen, as I described him last time, he's the he's the mysterious thing that happens to Relina, then um, this guy is just like the standard, I don't know, we can't even call him a hot guy. He's like the standard alternative option at her school. I mean, actually, on the surface, this blonde dude is, he's pretty all right um, as a person. He's not, like, a bad person. Um, he's certainly a lot more considerate than uh, Hero is. But I think, as I said with Relina before, he represents a lot of the things that are kind of wrong with this universe in terms of power and privilege and all of that good stuff. And yeah, Hero does not mess around with him uh, when they are fencing. So blonde guy comes in and he's like... I heard you ripped up Rilina's invitation. That's not cool. Aren't you ashamed of yourself as a gentleman? And here he's having none of it. He's not having any of it. He goes right in, basically nearly stabs the guy in the face. And he comes up with this really quite great sentence, um, which I think just really summarises how A, sassy hero is, but also how funny and like quick he is. Um, we always think of like Jiu as being the one with like the quick mouth, but Hero really has some good singers, so he he comes out with this thing being like, 
in English it's translated as like, oh, you should have told me sooner, I would have given it to you. And it's very vague what it is supposed to be, if it's like the invitation, I suppose there's this like play on words that I get, yeah, I would give you it, dude, like I'm thumping my fist here. I don't know, Hero's not that jockey yet, <laughs> really revealing more about myself here um, than this character. So the key verb that gets used in this exchange in Japanese is yaburu, which is uh, to rip or to tear or to break. It is also kind of used to use in the sense of like to defeat or to beat or to break through like an opponent's defense. So it's a really good play on words here. So what he actually says is, hold on, let me just grab it. Uh, he says, yaburazu o mae ni aru. It's like, yaburazu is like, Yaburu, that verb for to tear or to break, and then that zu ending is a negative, so it's actually like without verbing, without doing that action. Um, omae is another pronoun, and it is technically it's incredibly formal, so it's actually polite. It's like saying honorable thing that is before me, but like with so much of Japanese, it's been. Um, distorted over time and so 99% of the time that it's used it's rude it's it's so polite and it's so used out of context of that politeness that it if I just yelled like oh my I'd be like hey you asshole kind of thing um, but again it really depends on your tone a lot of Japanese swearing and slang depends on your tone and then he says niageru so which that to give to you so that whole phrase together Oh, if you told me sooner, I would have given it to you without tearing it. But it also has that kind of like play on words that, oh, if you told me you had this issue sooner, I wouldn't have like kicked your ass. It's it's that kind of um, really slick kind of thing. Because, I mean, he has just like beaten through this guy's defences. He's just defeated him at fencing. So, uh, yeah, I think that really shows some of Hero's character. He's witty. And when he wants to be, he doesn't say a lot, but he's surprisingly erudite. Um, and I think that really gets kind of missed in the general understanding of, of who Hero is and how he functions. Um, so I think that's a really nice little illustration that there is a lot more to him than meets the eye. I mean, still waters run deep, right? Another thing that comes up is when the ship's captain, I don't know if he has a name, is talking to Zex. That's a really interesting conversation as well in terms of like politeness and how polite people are because Zex tends to use quite polite speech in terms of his grammar and his like vocabulary choice. I mean he's not like using swear words but it's very dry, he's very sardonic. He is rude in like the politest passive aggressivist way that you could possibly imagine. I I really quite enjoy hearing Zex. I mean Zex is quite classy with how he's rude. And whereas the, the ship's captain is just like he's just full on there's one translation which is, again, a little bit misleading, perhaps. So uh, the ship's captain refers to Zex as Trace's pawn, but the word that he uses for that is kogai, and that doesn't actually mean pawn. There is a different word that is used for pawn as in, like, the chess piece, and there's also another word that's used to, like, denote, like, a tool that somebody uses for their own purpose, like, that kind of connotation. Kogai is actually a little bit more positive than the word Porn, you could translate it as protege. And it's also got this kind of like aspect of raising somebody or something. So you might use it to say, use this in the context of say like a merchant house. This would have been how it would be traditionally used or maybe temples, but it doesn't have as a religious connotation, but that you had a, a servant or a member of your household who was not part of your family from the time that they were a child. And you kind of like, 
brought them into adulthood or into a role that they were going to play. So that's where that kind of protege kind of overlap comes in. It's got this real connotation as well as starting from the ground up. So like porn is just like, you can adopt a porn that's like anybody, but this, this Kogai concept is that you take someone from from their first baby step and you really mould them all the way into being their kind of final form, or, or that's the idea. I, I'm not sure Zex is kind of in his final form, but whatever he is now, there is this consideration amongst his peers that Trey's has made him who he is. And I think that gives it a kind of interesting layer of meaning, which is kind of missed by just saying, oh yeah, he's Trey's pawn. I think it's also really interesting how Relina speaks. So I previously mentioned that she's quite formal, that she uses watakushi, and she calls her dad like otosama, which is like a very reverential way to, to address your father. But she's also incredibly formal with her peers. So like the girls who are like presented as like her friends, she is very detached from them in the way that she speaks. She tends to speak to them very formally. They speak to her very deferentially. They sort of use honorifics to her, they use humble language about themselves, um, so they really kind of push her up on a pedestal. And so you kind of get this impression in the Japanese that she is actually quite distanced from these people. Um, she's fated, she's privileged, but she's not buddy-buddy with them. And so like one good example of this is where she's at the party and she's about to leave and run off after Hero down to the spaceport. Um, and she says to them, if I paraphrase, something like, I'm terribly afraid I have to go, but if you wouldn't mind, I'd like the, if everybody just stayed here and continued the party without me, that kind of thing. It's really hard to translate how polite and formal she is into English very well, because we don't have specific verb forms for this. We just tend to get more long-winded um, and use more words when we want to be more polite. Um, and then she suddenly turns around when they're all like, oh, if you're going to the port, you know, let us come too. Um, we could drive you there. And she just turns around and she says, damn it, konaide chorai. Um, which really abrupt turn of pace. She really does like a flip 180, so you can kind of perhaps understand why they're surprised. Dame is literally like no, but it's a very particular kind of no. It's the sort of no that I used to use as a teacher a lot with the kids when they were like trying to climb on chairs and stuff. It's like the dame I use to the dog when he's about to try and eat something that he shouldn't be eating. You know, it. I mean, it, it obviously it covers a lot more situations than that, but that's that's how abrupt it is. And that konaide chorai is again, it's super direct. Um, konaide is just like don't come near me or don't come. It's sort of again, it's got that real imperative to it. And then chorai is like for my sake, like to give me. So if I say like coffee chorai, it's like give me coffee, or, like give me some of that. Uh, so yeah, there's a real real turnabout with Renina and another super interesting thing that she says, because um, I refer to this again when I talked about episode one, is that when she pulls Hero's helmet off, she's like, Mada kodomo nanoni. It's like, oh, even though he's still just a child. Um, and I kind of picked up on the fact that, that she uses specifically the word child. She didn't use like, oh, even though he's young, or he's like shonen, he's a boy, um, or like a teen, as opposed to like, he's an adult. She specifically calls him a child. And then when she's having a conversation with her father, he's about to like jolly off for work um, and he's apologising that he's missing her party. And she says, oh, it's okay. I know how important your work is. Kodomo dewa arimasen. It's like, I am not a child. So kodomo, child, dewa arimasen. I am not. Um, and that I think is quite interesting that she considers herself not a child, but Hiro is a child, kind of in her eyes. 
Wufei is also referred to as a, a child, and so is Choa, but less directly. He's like Fushigi no ko. They don't use the word kodomo, they just use the suffix ko. The other option would have been like Yatsu, like Fushigi no Yatsu. Yatsu just kind of like guy, and that, that has more of a adult connotation as opposed to court which links it more to child but it's not like directly saying oh he is a child in the way that Relina and the truck guy refer to Hiro and Wufei respectively. Um, I have just spilt my coffee in my excitement. Oh jeez. I've got my phone. Crimes and jeans. These clean jeans this morning. I'm a bad sister. I've, I've spilt chicken on the duvet and coffee on the sofa. Oh they're not gonna be allowed back. <laughs> so Relina has this kind of opinion of herself that maybe she's a little bit more worldly than some of the people around her. Don't get the impression that she's actually a little bit jaded. And there certainly is, I know this is called like the Gundam called Shinigami, but it's still quite a lot about Renina and her character arc. She's starting to question things about her place in this society, who her friends are, what it all means, who Hero is, what's going on in the wider world. And we get I think at the party, these kind of little moments where the scales are starting to drop from her eyes. I mean, they've been probably dangling on their way out for a while, but yeah, she's starting to really see that shit's about to go down. And then that translates over into her final conversation with Hiro on the boat where he's loading up the torpedoes. Um, and she carries on using this real imperative language. I mean, she gets bossy. She gets real Lucy Van Pelt with him. She's like, Dame yo, don't do that, Hiro. Like, again, like, almost like you're talking to a child, or it could be like that kind of down talk almost. And then she uh, she also says, um, Hanashi nasai. So that nasai is absolutely a direct order. It's not just like saying, oh, you know, talk with me. It's you need to talk kind of thing. I mean, again, nuance. Nuance is everything with Japanese. It's so, so, so nuanced. Um, and it doesn't always translate directly very well, um, even just trying to describe what that feels like in a conversation. It'd be the kind of thing that my teacher would say to me, or she would actually use the opposite. She'd be like, stop talking. So I think that's really interesting that Rulina comes in, she weighs in that strong. She's definitely not the shrinking violet she tries to come across as. And then the last bit of language um, chit chat I've got is uh, how Zex describes the Gundams. Um, he uses the word kaibutsu, which is described as beasts. We found the beast at the bottom of the ocean referring to Wing Gundam, and then he's like, when we get this machine, we will become terrible beasts ourselves. But kaibutsu isn't beasts as in like lions and tigers and bears, oh my. It's more like monsters, like sphinxes and gorgons. It's very much more that mythological dragons and unicorns and, and beasts of that nature. And so I think that's kind of interesting because we start to get these layers of these like fairy tale overtones like Rina's very much Little Miss Princess. She refers to Hiro as like is he the Hoshinoji sama? Is he the Star Prince? Zex is talking about beasts in the ocean. And then I even think Duo really plays into that. He comes in as this sort of like highwayman, like rogue type figure. He's there to save the damsel in distress, but you know, she doesn't actually need a knight and uh, the one she wants is the guy who's, you know, obviously the bad guy. Um, and I'll, I'll sort of talk about that a little bit more later as well. So let's talk about Duo. There's not really a huge amount to say. I mean, even though this is nominally his episode or it's an episode 
named for his Gundam um, really get a lot of airtime and he doesn't really do a lot when he does. Um, other than that final scene right at the end, we do get some insight into his character. We know that his tech is pretty damn good. I mean, he's got a thermal blade that works underwater. That shocks the pants off them. And we also find out that he has absolutely no idea what he's doing. It might be worth talking about what some of the others are up to as well, because we get some insight into their actions. We see these snippets right after the the big giant head really in a moment, where Troa is getting himself undercover in the circus. We're not quite sure what his plan is there, but he's, he's doing something, setting himself up for something. Catra is having tea and looking at flamingos, so he's being completely bloody useless, um, and as much as we can understand his mission. Wufei is probably the most organised. I mean, he's just bought a truckload of explosives, which seems to be far more on course for what they're supposed to be doing than what the others are up to. I mean, Hero has well failed here. I mean, he's lost his Gundam and gone back to school. So, um, And then we've got Duo, who has apparently just been following random Oz ships around just to kind of see what they're up to. Um, he's kind of like a gremlin at this moment. He just hangs around in the background and just causes them trouble without any particular plan. Um, so in this case, he's he's followed this ship. He's noticed that they're up to something around this military base um, and around the ocean. They're clearly doing some kind of operation, but he has no idea what they're looking for. And uh, he has no idea what he's going to do. He just kind of hangs around. And he certainly had no idea about Hero either. And then when he does find the Gundam, he's like, oh, cool, spare parts, I'll I'll just take that. And he's like, Burglar Bill is like, ooh, a baby, ooh, a Gundam, I love that. And uh, he just kind of carries on doing his own thing, which is, you know, respect. But again, in terms of how these characters are presented, like we're given the impression that they're trained and designed to do this, but they're kind of really fucking it up already, you know, by episode two. They haven't really managed an awful lot. They've done some initial stomping and blowing stuff up. They've uh, they've put the cat among the pigeons, uh, and now they're they've lost that element of surprise a little bit. So, yeah, keep keep trucking, boys. And I do think it's really interesting that Duo bursts into the scene as the good guy. Like he definitely sees himself as the protagonist. He is the hero. He's gonna come in. There's this, there's clearly this tool with his silly little shorts pointing the gun at a girl, and Duo's like. You know what? I'm gonna step in. This guy, evidently, prime bad guy. I'm the good guy. And then he gets kind of like the pants shocked off of him when it turns out that he's not wanted in that capacity. Um, and I think then he starts doing a little bit like, well, hold the phone. If I'm not the good guy, then am I the bad guy or quite what? And I don't think it goes terribly deep at this point, but certainly I think it comes back into his overarching theme and his overarching character arc with how Duo sees himself as whether or not he's a hero for the colonies or not, whether or not he's wanted or not, whether or not he's doing the right thing. And that certainly is a kind of question that they come back to over and over again throughout later episodes in the series, which, you know, we'll, we'll discuss in due course. So that's really kind of about it for this episode. Um, I think the one thing that is not answered and which I'd really, really love to know is what happened immediately after that final scene where Hero's just like bobbing in the water like a cork and Duo and Relina just kind of stood there like, um, 
are you gonna get that or should I get I, I just would love that that's like the missing scene that I want to read if you want to write that I would love to read it just the comedy value also the fact that Hero fucking only has the ambulance like he, he stole the ambulance episode one and then he's still driving it episode two it's the most subtle vehicle he could find or the only vehicle he could find for, you know, breaking into a port. Also, let's just not mention the fucking marshmallow horses with their turkey drumstick legs. Jesus. So, that's it for episode two. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. I hope you found it interesting. If you've got any comments, suggestions, or just want to tell me I got something wrong, um, please do drop me a line. I'm always available on lemontrash.tumblr.com. Tag me, send me a message, and I'll see you in orbit next time. Bye!